Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. Who is Don Giovanni? In this pre-performance talk, Richard Seaver music director James Conlon guides you through Mozart's drama Giocoso, the plot, the history, and of course the music. Tickets to Don Giovanni are available now at laopera.org. The story of Don Juan had been around at least since the early 17th century, and his legend has grown to the point that each subsequent century has had its say on the subject. Our own, barely two decades in, is equally active. Like its protagonist, the story's chameleon-like narrative has been wrapped in many different philosophical and literary garments. The story, probably born anonymously in traveling theaters, in its first written form was attributed to the Spanish monk Tirso de Molina, who curiously never acknowledged its authorship. It was entitled El Burlador de Sevilla y Convidado de Piedra, The Trickster of Seville and the Stone Guest. Don Juan, as it came to be known, would have literally hundreds of new settings, most versions performed by popular theater groups. France's theatrical giant Moliere wrote a controversial 1665 five-act comedy. The preeminent Italian playwright Carlo Goldoni wrote a tragic comedy called Don Giovanni Tenorio in 1736. Da Ponte knew both versions well. He also borrowed copiously from a contemporary Venetian operatic version composed by one Giuseppe Gazzaniga and librettist Giovanni Bertati. In 1787, Mozart's Da Ponte, one of the opera world's greatest storytellers and colorful personalities, conferred on the subject a seriousness and universality that has ensured its permanence in our culture. Da Ponte, who started life as a highly educated literary scholar and a Roman Catholic priest, was eventually removed from religious life when, amongst other issues, he was found to be running a brothel. Despite his evident genius and his high learning, he was forced to leave Venice, Vienna, and London because of unpaid debts and emigrated to America, first settling in rural Pennsylvania and then moving to New York City, where he died and is buried. Like The Marriage of Figaro, the first of his historic collaborations with Mozart, Don Giovanni's plot is located at the crossroads of sexual and class politics. It portrays several burning social issues similar to those which our contemporary society grapples with. Sexual abuse, violence, and the suppression of the rights of the underprivileged. Both operas deal with the battle of the sexes on a horizontal plane and class struggle on a vertical plane. But in Don Giovanni, the supernatural and divine justice supersede everything else. In keeping with this, the opera seems to expand outward from the edges. The Marriage of Figaro's subtitle, La Folle Journée, The Crazy Day, has morning, noon, and night, and the subject ends there. Don Giovanni keeps opening outwards, each episode posing questions, each answer spawning more questions, like the multi-headed Hydra. However beautiful and accessible his music is, Mozart was also a dramatic genius, whose music elevated his operas into a towering orbit. But of the many implications of this extremely complex narrative, 
there is an overwhelming presence that, at the beginning and the end, orients the listener. And it is accomplished without a word of text, nor preamble, nor explanation. The terrifying power of the orchestra in the key of D minor. For Mozart, it is the tonality of death and the supernatural. It orientates us for this cautionary tale of divine justice, of the punishment for he or she who transgresses without repentance. The composer, so generous in his own clemency, pardoning most of the characters in most of his operas, has made a stunning and powerful exception. In an era which even the portrayal of death on stage was relatively rare and unfashionable, Mozart not only shows us the protagonist's demise in full view, but condemns and consigns him in our presence to eternal damnation. Mozart dared to render the rigorous application of religious law in the theater. The composer's daring is all the more impressive as supernatural interventions and devilry were out of favor with the 18th century Enlightenment era public. Neither opera seria, that's serious opera, nor opera buffa, comedy, featured death on the stage. Not only do Mozart and da Ponte show his death, but more importantly, depict his condemnation into the eternal flames in an arresting manner that has rarely been matched. The music's moral position concerning the protagonist is clear and remains unmistakable. The moral decay and cruelty of the man we know as Don Giovanni, who randomly seduced, betrayed, and abandoned, merited a powerful and definitive punishment. It is noteworthy for those who may be tempted to think that Mozart and da Ponte were glorifying the protagonist, that the original title was Il Dissoluto Punito, ossia Don Giovanni, and that means the rake punished or Don Giovanni. The condemnation of licentiousness and its eternal punishment are the pillars of the opera. The music alone is unmistakable in delivering that message. The final scene is awe-inspiring, such that neither believer nor non-believer can remain indifferent to its power. That said, 
Both creators were also masters of irony and complexity. The protagonist is also an extraordinary personification of the life force, generally represented by the tonality of D major, as shown in the main body of the overture. Let's meet the characters. We will learn much about them in the course of the opera. Their lives and destinies have one thing in common. They have all been impacted and perhaps changed forever by having crossed paths with Don Giovanni. In an era of strict stylistic differentiation, Mozart and De Ponte, in a Solomonic manner, split the difference between comedy and drama by including elements of both opera seria and buffa and, appropriately, apportioning those elements to reflect each character's social status. There are three women who represent the at least 2,065 women we learned that Don Giovanni has seduced. Donna Anna, daughter of the Commendatore, is from the aristocracy. She is the fiancée of Don Ottavio. So Don Giovanni, Don Ottavio, and Donna Anna are the aristocrats. The music of Donna Anna and Don Ottavio will generally be written in the style of opera seria. Zerlina, together with Mazzetto, with whom she is celebrating their marriage, represent the peasantry. Leporello, Don Giovanni's servant, represents his class. The three together generally sing in opera buffa style, and much of the work's comic elements stems from them. Don Elvira is described by Mozart as di mezza carattere, meaning a hybrid of seria and buffa elements. She is basically serious, even heroic, and for me, the most complex and evolved character of the drama. She has traveled from her native city to find Don Giovanni, who married and then abandoned her. She finds and rightfully upbraids him. At first, she swears vengeance, but later forgives him pleading with him to repent his ways. Given Don Giovanni's chameleon-like nature, his music travels fluidly from one style to another. No dramatic portrayal or musical interpretation is definitive. 
what we do imagine are Donna Anna's secrets, which transpired at the beginning of the opera. Was she complicit with the Don? Did she invite him to her apartments, allowed him to stay? Or was she savagely raped? Why does she vacillate between strength and weakness, emotions of attraction and disgust for Don Giovanni? Mozart and Da Ponte evoke ambiguity as to her feelings. Is Donna Elvira a heroine of self-definition and compassion or a helpless victim of her own obsession? Early in the opera, her actions resemble some elements of opera buffa, but later she will be seen to be a character of great depth, even a heroine. What does Don Ottavio feel for Don Anna and she for him? Is Zerlina a naive innocent or a wily hard-nosed peasant who bargains for more than she can handle? Is Mazzetto simply a commedia dell'arte punching bag or a flesh and blood victim of aristocratic abuse? The Don's servant Leporello is almost, but not quite, a pure buffo character. His shining moment occurs when, to amuse Don Elvira, he recites the statistics in his famous catalog aria. 2,065 women in five countries. Who can confidently elucidate the relationship between Leporello and Don Giovanni, the servant and the master? Are they antagonists or mutually codependent? Is the opera more comedy with serious undertones or a deep and searing human narrative with occasional comic relief? Questions, answers, and more questions. No interpretation can achieve all of the possible explanations. One of the most ingenious moments in the opera occurs in the finale of Act One. As the entire cast of characters begins to dance, the orchestra plays the famous minuets. As the dramatic tension mounts, Mozart adds two other orchestras on stage who play different popular dances to contrast with the stately minuet. The total of three dances played simultaneously creates an effect of organized disorder, musical cacophony symbolizing social convention breaking down. Over his lifetime, Mozart consistently raised the entire buffa genre to a higher level, incorporating profound human emotions and elevating it at times to the sublime. Nobody can really consider Don Giovanni a pure comedy. The composer, in greatly enriching the subject matter, gave birth to Don Giovanni, the modern myth. 
The new Don Giovanni captured the imagination of some of the greatest writers and composers of the next two centuries. The list is long. Lord Byron, Alexander Pushkin, E.T.A. Hoffmann, Soren Kierkegaard, Charles Baudelaire, George Bernard Shaw, and Albert Camus. When they wrote about Don Giovanni, they wrote not about Don Juan Bolador, but as the world had come to know him through Mozart and Da Ponte. This cautionary tale of evil punished and the infinite complexity, richness, and ambiguity of the human soul inspired each age to see it through its own particular lens. As the 19th century gradually lost interest in sin and salvation and reshaped itself, it saw a mirrored image, a reflection of its own yearnings and philosophies. It melded, perhaps confusedly, the Don with Goethe's Faust, both as false hero and his nemesis, Mephistopheles. Faust, perpetually searching for knowledge, had his quest, and it was said, Don Giovanni, constantly seeking sensual satisfaction, his conquests. The Romantic era Don Giovanni strove for the eternal woman, Goethe's ewig weibliche, and then driven further by constant disappointment. The Don was for some an anti-hero who drove himself to self-destruction through his insatiable drives and dragged others along with him. For others, the Don was a melancholy protagonist of a self-defined drama, heroically seeking some illusory anti-social grail of his own making. In the 20th century, Don Juan was to undergo a radically different evaluation under the microscope of psychoanalysis. The 19th century portrait gave way to a lost creature in the 20th, with unresolved Oedipal drives, malignant narcissism, neurosis, and pathologies, in whatever its current terminology, and so on. Each age, including our own, sees in him and his story a reflection of its own world. He now, rightfully, no longer represents anything good. He is a criminal predator, serial seducer, and rapist. He is an abuser of women, an antisocial enemy of human morality, and a paradigm of patriarchal and class-privileged hubris. In 2023, he could be viewed as a man that is all appearance, with glowing, substanceless charisma and the self-confidence of a narcissistic personality disorder, free to roam unconstrained by depth, knowledge, truth, or empathy. He has one talent, to read people's vulnerability and play with it as a toy. His aristocratic privilege allows him to escape accountability over the course of his life until, like the epitaph on the gravestone of the proverbial waiter, God caught his eye. Mozart and de Ponte tell a fascinating tale, one that countenances neither his essence nor his behavior. It admits that he is fascinating, but concludes that he merits divine punishment. But who is the real Don Giovanni? It has often been pointed out that he has no core to his personality. There is no there there. All we know about Don Giovanni is the depth and breadth of his misdeeds, but nothing at all about his person nor why he behaves as he does. Mozart purposely deprives him of a self-revealing or so-called confessional aria. Unlike Verdiziago, who explains himself in his famous credo, the Don never reveals anything. 
His three solo arias are one-dimensional snapshots, neither multi-layered nor complex. They illustrate, but do not explain, what propels him. Voracious appetite symbolized by wine, the drinking song. Perpetual lust, seduction, the serenade. And violence, an action aria sung as he deceives, then beats up Mazzetto. Motiveless malignity, Coleridge's famous description of Iago's character, can equally be applied to Giovanni. It leaves the why unanswered and the door wide open for an infinity of interpretations. All the other characters are fully human, with the exception of the Commendatore. They are fascinatingly complex, especially the women who have a shared destiny, that of crossing paths with Don Giovanni, whose seductive violations challenge, awaken, and magnify their erotic impulses. For better and worse, they are irrevocably changed, as are many of the 2,065 women inscribed in Leporello's catalog. At the end of the opera, Leporello the servant will seek another employer. Mazzetto and Serlino the peasants will attempt to eke out a living off the land. Don Ottavio of the landed aristocracy will try to go forward with Donna Anna. Mozart does not procrastinate their future. Don Elvira, who for me is the most evolved character of all, will retire at least for the moment into a convent. The survivors sing a moral at the end and give closure to the characters. But does it mean whether everyone's lives are temporarily or irrevocably changed is a question that is left unanswered. Together, they all try and fail to retaliate against the dawn. However, retribution is the province of the divine. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, we are told in the scriptures. And so it is for our anti-hero. On the day portrayed of the opera, the Don, who has seemingly avoided accountability while riding herd on society through his legion sexual misdeeds, has become a murderer. And there, it seems, a line has been crossed. From that moment, we see him fail at all of his pursuits. Don Giovanni and Leporello are surprised in a cemetery when the statue of the Commendatore interrupts 
their gregarious conversations. Your laughing will cease before dawn. Who spoke? Some soul from the other world who must know you. Who's going there? Audacious scoundrel. Leave the dead in peace. Don Giovanni brazenly invites the statue to dinner. To their astonishment, he accepts. Mozart's Don Giovanni has been, and is, and will be, seen as all things to all people. Through Mozart's masterpiece, he has traveled the world through the centuries from the burlesque libertine of Tirso de Molina for better or worse, to a fixture in our culture. Who he is, is unknowable. And what he represents, a matter of perpetual inquiry and disagreement. And so it is. He has always given us the slip, and always will. He himself told us so while escaping from Donna Anna in his opening line of the opera, uttering words as prophetic as they are emblematic, Chi son io? Tu non saprai who I am, you will not know. I am James Conlon, Richard Seaver, music director of the Los Angeles Opera. Thank you for joining us. Tickets to Don Giovanni are available now at laopera.org. If you enjoyed listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain, Subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Music